Hello everyone, welcome back to It's a Wonderful Podcast. Janine, we have a very exciting little series of movies coming up all throughout the month of February on this The Main Show, don't we? It starts today, right in the middle of it, we have a big milestone episode for this show. Episode 250 is only two episodes away This is episode 248, and we're starting February with a very interesting little movie today and a really exciting series of movies to get into. Not that they're connected in any such way other than some thematic and some people-centric ways, I suppose, they are connected. Janine, what do we have today and coming up? We are going to be talking some really interesting uh, black classics. Uh, We're actually getting into the 70s quite a bit, so that's going to be fun. That was a very big era in in black cinema. Uh, So we're going to be talking some fun things, even creeping into March a little bit with uh, some of the films we're going to be talking. So, yeah, I'm excited. But today (laughs) we are talking Buck and Preacher. Uh, was yes. definitely inspired to do this film for a while after seeing Nope and catching this poster uh, in that movie, uh, which I had yes. no idea this movie even existed. So uh, kind of hearing about it, this Western with uh, Harry Belafonte and Sidney Poitier, I was immediately sold. So it had definitely been something on our list, I think, for a while to cover on the show. It had, it had, I mean, you know how much we love Sidney Poitier on yes. It's a Wonderful Podcast. We, we certainly do. We even did a very special episode entirely dedicated to the movies of his we'd covered when he passed away last year. Yeah. We did, he, he, he you know, he, he has his own dedicated episode. It's a very, very unique episode of this show. Um all based around Sidney Poitier. We, we, he's a show favourite. He's an It's a Wonderful Podcast favourite, and it's good to be talking another movie of his. And it's even more exciting to be talking a movie he directed, directed as well yes. as starred in. Mm-hmm. His first directorial effort. There's fascinating backstory surrounding this movie, as well as some interesting things to talk about actually on screen within the movie as well but i do remember when you had watched nope for the first time or when we 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 both had in our separate countries and separate cinemas yeah. and we just like did you notice that poster i remember you asking me did you notice yeah. that poster of that like western with sydney poitier in it and i was just like oh yeah i've heard about this look like book and book and something yeah book and the preacher and we'd found yeah. it basically from nope or at least it had become more ingrained our, in our minds yeah, thanks mm-hmm. to that movie on our radar, um, yeah. itself which is kind of a black western mixed with as obviously a sci-fi movie but yeah daniel kalu you're riding that horse like a, a thunderbolt is phenomenal yeah. in that movie even though there's a big obviously gray alien presence in the movie yeah. which is unusual for westerns really isn't it unless it's cowboys and aliens or something nonsense like that <laughs> um there's no aliens there's no aliens in book and the preacher there's a hell of a lot of 
fight in a movie like Book and the Preacher. I think it delves into a part of Western history. And by that, I mean the history of the Wild West that is very underseen in movies, um, simply because of when I think Westerns were, were most popular, you think in the 50s um, and the 60s. Hollywood's still very whitewashed at this time. It, it's very, let's make, let you know, let's not give these great opportunities to to other people, to other races, anybody yeah. for the for that matter. This is one of the the negatives of this time in movies that we we are more than willing to bring up. We are not blindsided on it's a wonderful podcast by. The, the negatives of old Hollywood as much as we enjoy celebrating the movies and celebrating the individuals involved, the system itself had its big negatives. Oh, yeah. Um, it really did. It had its positives, absolutely, but it had its it, negatives as well, and its um, whitewashing, I suppose, is very much one of them, which is why I think movies like this... Um, should be massively celebrated even though this is of course going into the 70s we do like to occasionally dip our toes into the 70s on yeah. it's a wonderful <laughs> podcast but this entire series of movies will be from the 70s i did look for movies um that were available to watch um from the 50s even from the 40s but very very unavailable unfortunately yeah, to, to kind to of readily watch and anything um, else we've probably covered <laughs> yeah and we, we we have covered you know an awful lot of sydney poitier movies and i didn't and i wanted there to be variety to this particular um series that we're kind of focusing on these you know four movies that we'll end up focusing on i didn't want them to all feel like they were just one pigeonholed kind of thing i wanted yeah. it to be variety but even in general um, like quite a few black classics or you know bigger ones that we could get access to i think we've maybe talked about you know stormy weather and um yes cabin in the sky, cabin in the sky. Yeah. yes absolutely we have absolutely we have um and the, the, you know those were really fun movies to talk about Ooh, i feel yeah. like that was that was this time last year yeah i feel like we 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 talked about those but before we do delve on in to book and the preacher today sydney poitier's directorial debut the black western from 1972 we do have to do one thing janine that is say a big thank you to all our wonderful patrons of it's a wonderful podcast because we can't do what we do without their generous support we love them all dearly and we always like to say thank you to them every single week on an episode of this show if you would like to join these wonderful people and support us in this way, there is a donation link in the description. There is the Patreon link in the description. Patreon.com slash it's a wonderful one. Find the tier that is right for you. And we would love you forever, much like we love all these people. And we say a big thank you to start to Marie Zambino. And thank you, Adam Witt. Thank you to Michael Smith. Thank you, Maxwell Haddad. Thank you, Amber Coates. Thank you, Abby Friel. Thank you to 90s Comics Box, Janine's big brother, Justin. Thank you, Video Drew. Thank you, Tina Farrow. 
Thank you, Marcus Burton. Thank you to Steve, Movie Fenobi. Thank you, Samir Tesfai. Thank you, Patrick Harden. Thank you, Carla Fees. Thank you to the great Ken Knapsock. Thank you to our wonderful friends, Tom and Kimber of Odd Shape Channel. Thank you to Eric Garcia. And thank you to Billy Pollahan. Yes, applause for the patrons and applause for the movie, as I always like yes. to say whenever we do this kind of thing. Janine, I am deeply thankful for the Criterion Collection uh, releasing this movie in the UK because they don't like to release all their movies in the UK, and I bought it specifically for this show. Nice. Yes, okay, I wanted it, but <laughs> I, I wasn't going to buy it immediately. Yeah. You know, it was on the wish list, but I I, I was pushed to by the desire to cover it on this yes, show, and I'm very but grateful I mean, for that. It did uh, give you a ton of very interesting information, uh, so I've learned so excited. much about this yes. movie. <laughs> so I'm really excited to to have you get into some of that today on the show. Uh, but yes. yeah, I was really excited to cover this movie just in terms of who was in it. Uh, I hadn't really seen a lot of Harry Belafonte uh, films. Uh, so I was excited to kind of see their dynamic. I had always heard that they were good friends. So I wanted to kind of see how they yeah. worked together, how they would tell a Western. Because, you know, we do get this... Uh, kind of uh on screen uh caption at the beginning kind of explaining you know this who this story is dedicated to why they felt it was important to kind of tell this story from their perspective uh some things that you kind of learned really <clears throat> interestingly emphasize the importance of these two black men wanting to tell a story from this time period from the black perspective yeah. It hadn't really been done or seen. So, yeah, I was really excited to see a Western, you know, because I don't think people picture Black people in Westerns uh, as the cowboys, as the ones riding the horses, you know, what ha was going on with Black people at a certain time and, uh, you know, in, in movies like this. So I think, you know, it was really important to see that. And I was really curious to see uh, elements of what I know of Westerns but kind of apply that to what black people were going through in, you know, in that time. So yeah. I was really interested in that historically, think, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a wonderful historical movie. I also do think it takes a lot of what is great about uh, older Westerns, more mainstream Westerns throughout old Hollywood, um, more so the kind of, revisionist westerns you get i'm thinking stuff like high noon and, and 310 to humor and things like that that, you, that yeah. you get in the 50s that aren't quite you know typically all american affairs they have a morality to them they have more of a an interesting du duopoly to them almost yes no kind of gray characters which this film actually does have some interesting gray characters so <laughs> it really does it really does yeah. i think it takes a lot of what movies like that do well the gunfighter and brings them into into this particular story which is like you said a, a very unique story to see in movies now i've learned through watching the features on on this criterion release that i did buy um that 
it's far from the first black western there's yeah. a lot there's a whole industry of tiny little independent black westerns going as far back as i think 1936 oh wow um they say but they're obviously got no major backing whatsoever unfortunately yeah. and were were very very limitedly seen only in obviously segregated movie theaters yeah um they were not shown to white audiences they were made specifically for black people by black people starring black people so obviously had an audience there but it's it was not a massive audience yeah and you you can't really see these movies you can't seek these movies out now uh, you know a great deal someone finds them somewhere and restores these kind of things all the better we, we love it when that sort of stuff happens yeah but it's why a movie like this and it takes as long as as a movie like this you basically get one um i can really think of and i can you know that comes to my head one kind of fairly major western star um who was black uh, before a movie like this and that's woody strode that you'll see in a lot of like little supporting roles in pretty mainstream westerns and spaghetti westerns he was a mm -hmm. former nfl player okay. that turned actor in the 50s um occasionally unfortunately also played native americans even though he was black it, that's a very oh, contentious yeah. which, topic and we do get into that kind of thing which i do hope any of your features kind of talk about uh touching on yes the native yeah American they do depictions even in a black kind of western uh really not being as great as they could have been they do and it's 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 a deeply unfortunate part of a of a movie this movie that i think deserves massive celebration yeah um it's 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 a real shame really that it does it doesn't entirely follow through with its own kind of ideas and it's so yeah. you know it wants to celebrate a different race that you haven't seen in this kind of movie in the mainstream before but then still casts a white woman as a major native american character yeah um even though that was harry belafonte's wife wife at the time um, yeah which is okay that's nice you know nice to see she's in there but why is she playing a native american is is the basic question of of that i think yeah but it's it's a it's a massively influential movie i think and a massively impactful movie yeah it comes out i'm giving a lot of i know i'm giving a lot of context before we actually get into talk about this movie but um it's produced by both sydney poitier's production company and harry belafonte's production company it's uh, ultimately distributed and has the financial backing of columbia because okay. Poitier at this point had a contract with Columbia. Uh, yeah. Uh, like a seven picture deal or something like that with Columbia. So there is the significance of it actually getting kind of a full release and a full mainstream release and a real, you feel it as well. You feel it's got high class backing behind yeah, it. This is yeah. a really- It's well-made. Yeah. Well-made, well put mm -hmm. together you know wealthy looking movie it's not yeah. a 
cheapy, independent-looking yeah. movie. Um, and you've got to give credit to that because I know that an awful lot, you know, it was a big point that was made, an awful lot of black people were hired behind the scenes as well as on oh, camera. Wow. That's awesome. And more so... More so than would have been allowed had this movie actually been filmed in the US. It was filmed in Mexico oh, um, okay. because of like labor laws and things like this. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Poitier and Belafonte really made a point of, you know, we're, we're showcasing, we're bringing in, we're giving work and we're, we're putting an emphasis on all this black talent. Yeah, you know, while being obviously the two of them massively massive significant games. black yeah. performers, mm -hmm. um, and let's actually get into talking about this movie because okay. I think I could talk about the context of it all day and all episode, and I don't want to do that because I've just <laughs> kind of been bombarded with all this knowledge the of the backstory yeah. of <laughs> Book of the But it's all very interesting, so I'm excited to kind of hear what you were able to learn from those special features. But um, yeah, again, just excited to really get into uh, what life looked like for Black people at this time. And, and we open with Buck, Sidney Poitier, kind of being this... Uh, savior to the people like it was very much the time of uh slavery has been abolished but there are many people still kind of holding on to those same ideals not wanting to give up slaves not wanting to uh, you know admit what is true and, and and that that uh slaves are free and they're allowed you know <clears throat> their 40 acres and a mule and not yeah, wanting to whatever to they give want them yes <clears throat> so we have groups of whites who just uh, you know, black people just trying to find like small, you know, plots of land to settle and make communities for themselves. And then here come like a gang of white people who uh, kill all of their, you know, pigs and chickens and, and their means for food and burns their little kind of uh, camp area and kills quite a few of them and not allowing them to, to, you know, live the freedom that they've, they've, deserve so we have someone like buck who is there kind of looking out for people and trying to find places for people and and you know giving them money and 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 finding them you know places to 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 live free and protect them but you know it, it, he's only one man <laughs> so yeah uh and, and he's starting to get known amongst these like white gangs that you know he's bounty hunters. Yes, who he's this this man going around kind of ruining their their plans to keep slavery going and and to keep uh, black people down. <clears throat> so yeah. now he's kind of got this price on his head while he's trying to help people. So that's kind of where we we kick off our story. <clears throat> um, Sidney Poitier in this movie, like in his character in book i think is it's a lot of the kind of very righteous characters that he's played in the past but there's a a real kind of how do i how do i put it it's almost like takes no shit power that he yeah. has in this movie that has never like i don't know it's been there sometimes in, in previous movies that we've got, but I really felt in this movie that he would just fight to the end for 
all of these people to save as many as he could. He's so heroic in this movie, and he's really quiet while doing it as well. Yeah, I think he fits somehow. He fits the 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 role of the stoic cowboy western kind hero of leader. So yeah. Well. And, you know, if I think back on a lot of Sidney Poitier roles that we've talked about on the show that are kind of the most popular, it's always more about him. You know, he can he can play a confident leader, but I don't think we've ever really seen him be a leader in this way. Like most times, yeah. he's he's in defense of himself, <laughs> you know, yes. he's only worried he's about not, himself yeah. and and, uh, you know, trying to. uh show that he belongs somewhere or uh defend what he believes in and, and it's always very kind of from a personal place where he's standing up for something um i think that's here, a point to be made i yeah, think that's a point to be made yeah, of the fact here, that a lot of the time in the sydney party movies we have covered and throughout his his earlier career he's you know nearly the only black person in the movie even though the movie's mostly are usually about him and yeah. his <laughs> interactions with everybody else like you have okay raising in the sun which is entirely obviously about uh you know sydney party is and his whole family but you think of which we haven't even covered raising in the sun so i don't even know why i brought that up but you think <laughs> of um all the others patch of blue uh even defiant ones um serving love guests coming to dinner heat of the night he's the no only black person yeah. in the movie no way out no way out there's his family as well yeah but there is it, there's, there's, yeah. there's actually i suppose more of an interesting <laughs> community aspect to no way out at yeah. times um but all those others he's kind of very much alone and in this one he's obviously he's not that this is a massively community yeah. kind of based movie as well and he is absolutely their tragic leader role. yeah mm -hmm. um who does all he can to save as many people as he can to help as many people as he can migrate west to get away from you know the the louisianas and the mississippis of, of the country yeah, and out to, to arizona go. and colorado yeah. and places like that um where there there's obviously freedom there's you know at this time there's the ability to to have and do whatever you want um there's trials and tribulations along the way of course there is mainly from our kind of lead villain in the movie who's this bounty hunter uh, played, I think, really wonderfully villainously, actually, by Cameron Mitchell. I mean, he's got a, an, out, an outstanding moustache in the movie, I must say. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like I probably should put Cameron Mitchell into the Moustache <laughs> Hall of Fame, purely for just pure quality of bushy yes, moustache. I mean, he's a despicable character. A really just evil, <laughs> evil character, but I, I've got to applaud the mustache. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. I hate to say it, but <laughs> I have to applaud the mustache. Um, so that that inclusion into the mustache hall of fame comes with a caveat of he's evil, but what a mustache! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. 
so I'll, I'll get that out your, of the way. Wait. Yeah, when you actually make your framed wall of the Mustache Hall of Fame, I need you to put that in, like, put that in his little yes, under plaque. Really <laughs> evil, but look at this mustache. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I'll do that. Um. So yes, yeah, so applause for Cameron Mitchell going into the must. Applause for him as an actor because I think yeah. he does a great job. I'm being very a really wonderful yeah. job. Um, but he's obviously doing his his very villainous performance really, really well in this movie, and that is what he's there for. That is what his character his character is there to act as the the hardship that they all face and the hardship that. I think you know, obviously, is presented directly through book, yeah, uh, particularly um, because the preacher, played obviously by Harry Belafonte, now is far more happy-go-lucky kind of mess about kind of guy. Yes, and he does like I didn't mention, you know, uh, westerns. You know, you talked about really having uh, a, a clear kind of good, a clear kind of bad characters. Um, so we do get a grayish character in the preacher as he uh, has no qualms with kind of stealing. Oh no, he's a con man. He's a stabbing. Yes, and 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 putting on this very distracting air of being this man of God type situation. Uh, so he's a very interesting character in terms of, uh, you know, I think he obviously does lean more towards good, but uh, and I think his relationship with Buck really solidifies where he sits in terms of good and bad. But uh, when we first meet him, he really has no issue kind of uh, stealing from these black people who you know have taken him in in a way or uh, yeah. you know backstabbing Buck. And there's you know he actually does get offered. Uh, some money for the bounty on Buck's head, and he happily is like, "Okay, <laughs> you know." <laughs> we, I don't think we ever feel like it will ever, you know, he will ever actually do it. Oh, he might swind, well, he might try and swindle the Cameron Mitchell into into, you know, yeah, I've, I've got Buck him. here. You know, give me the money, and then I'll kill you instead. You feel like it's yes. probably going to be a situation yes. like that. But they do kind of introduce him as a kind of a gray character, like he sees. Uh, he's kind of peeking in on uh, our, our black kind of people, our refugee kind of people. They're trying to find a new place after, you know, obviously getting attacked. And they're like, you know, packing up their money and trying to hide it. And then he's like watching them and just yeah. very much watching where this money is going because he has these, you know, underlying motives to, to potentially steal it. So I actually loved the way this little scene was shot. Actually, you've just reminded me. Um, and I think, speaking about this, Poitier does a really good job at actually just shooting this movie, setting up the the kind of the way the movie's put together for being a first time director. That it that was actually not his original plan to direct this movie, because like I said, the two of them, the, our two leads, were the main producers on the movie, movie yeah. two, you know, their production companies. Um. And they'd originally hired uh, a guy called Joseph Sargent, I think, to direct the movie. But basically, Poitier took over from him after a few days when, you know, him and Belafonte were unfulfilled by Joseph Sargent seemingly not telling the, the black story appropriately or not focusing on that aspect of this movie enough. 
And yeah. this was obviously the, the main focus of this movie. That's the point of this movie, really, isn't it? It's, the, it's, it's what the movie wants to present. It's what the movie yeah. wants to tell. So I think there's a lot to be said for Poitier going, no, you're not doing it right. I'm going to do it. Yeah. And then, like, surely being nervous to step into something like this. But then yeah, ending up with a movie like this that's really well put together yes and even having some great western kind of style shots the quick pans and the you know the wide yeah, shots like quick spaghetti horses. western zooms yes. in there even some really great kind of lower shots from when you know to kind of make them look more uh you know kind of epic on top of the horses and, and stuff like that yeah there's low angle it. stuff yeah. there's, mm -hmm. there's really it's really well shot. Quick I think pans the... and quick zooms, very much of of what you see in westerns, and him really wanting to have those traditional western elements while not telling a traditional western story. So I liked kind of I, that juxtaposition I really do, of ideas. I really do. Yes, I really do think that is what you know makes this movie feel very, very accomplished. Yeah, it is the fact that you get what feels like a typical Hollywood Western, but on screen and in its messaging and in its in its in its own morals, it's yeah. anything but the typical Hollywood Western. It just looks yeah. that way, stylistically still that way. I think that's very, very important to to kind of almost justify it being a Western, really. Yeah. You know, otherwise it wouldn't have felt like it was part of anything. It wouldn't have felt, I don't think, complete. And, and I really do feel it's good. I also feel it's, I don't mean to ramble, I do apologize. No, no, no. I also feel no. it's really quite a task to make a movie that is rather quiet. It's rather meandering, and I mean that in a very, very positive way. It's a movie that you feel you could just sit with. It's a movie yeah. type of movie that I like. You know, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot always going on. There is, and there certainly is in the background of everything, but you are more than happy to just kind of walk into town with these characters and just... Yeah kind of casually ride the horses through the desert with go. these yeah, characters mm -hmm. and just see what's happening. Yeah. You're in the world. And I think it does a really good job of just allowing you to be drawn in to the characters, to be drawn into the world of the movie right from the start. Oh, yeah. Um, I th also think it's got a really interesting and kind of captivating soundtrack and score to it as well oh yeah it's very bouncy and westerny but then has these underlying funk elements to it so it's very much like you are watching a black western <laughs> like... it, it does feel like that especially obviously this is 1972 this is like prime black exploitation yeah era um i actually think there's there's something to be said about the fact that this movie, while critically fairly successful, wasn't massively commercially successful. And I think it's down to the style of how black exploitation movies at this time were brought out. You know, they they were kind of these 
hugely pacey movies. They had a lot of action in them. They they had, you know, distinct soundtracks that would be sold before the movie to build up hype and all this kind of stuff. They were yeah. really these in-your-face kind of movies. And this movie is not in-your-face. This movie no. is drawn back. Um, it's It's important in what it's telling you but it wants you to watch it and understand that it's not going to shout it at you like yeah. a lot of black exploitation movies do and i enjoy those movies i enjoy plenty of those movies but i think because of the popularity of those movies at that time i think that's what's put on to the fact of this movie not being massively commercially successful which which and, you know, I'm led to believe disappointed our two stars. Well, yeah, because, I mean, I think they were probably <clears throat> very mainstream uh, black actors in, you know, uh, at their time, you know, very much yeah. black actors that had their movies seen by white audiences as well. Um, and then on the black exploitation side, you had like holy black movies in terms of like your good guys and the majority of your bad guys were all black. And yeah. then this film that's not really leaning into the aspects of, like you said, in your face black exploitation, and your villains are clearly white people, and you're really tackling subject matter of, uh, you know, white superiority and things like that. So yeah, you're telling an entirely black story. <laughs> Yes, and it, there's an emphasis on showing kind of a historical truth that I'm sure people didn't really want to to focus on. So your two kind of leads who are probably the most mainstream black actors to white audiences are not going to want to see a white depiction like that. And then yeah. the black exploitation audiences aren't really going to latch onto it for kind of the fun, uh, maybe over the top experience it's going to yeah. be a more serious thoughtful thing that maybe people just didn't really want to get into at that time so it kind of put them in this very weird middle spot i would i could see in in that time period yeah but even having said that i do think the movie is quite fun i think there's comedy yes, to be had in this movie i is. think bella fonte in particular is <laughs> having ridiculous. a blast i mean we are introduced doing. to his character bare ass <laughs> like he does. He does have his, his his ass out in the movie, actually, doesn't he, Belafonte? Yes, he. Yeah. he we are introduced to him uh, bathing in a river, yeah. with. I, mean, I actually do think there's a lot to be said about what he about how serious he he did take this movie, Harry Belafonte, as well. Again, I'll give a little bit of background um, that I've learned through watching these features. Like I said. Um. Harry Belafonte apparently refers to himself as the, the greatest actor there ever was because he's fooled everybody into thinking he was a singer. <laughs> when his first... This is obviously what most people know him as, though, as a singer, don't they? Yeah. This, this, is, this is the interesting thing. His first love was always acting. His first love was the stage. And, you know, this is where he first broke out creatively, is, is on the stage. And he was making movies, and him and Sidney Poitier uh, met in the mid-40s, um, remained friends ever since, yeah. by the sounds of it. Had uh, an argument, a particularly notable argument, um, shortly after the death of Martin Luther King, who particularly Belafonte was actually rather close to, being a, a massive civil rights activist that yeah. Harry Belafonte was as well. Poitier was to a degree, but I don't think on the same 
outspoken level of, yeah. of Belafonte. I think Belafonte was really, and to be fair, still is in his very old age now, quite yeah. political in his in his kind of mentality. All the more power to him for doing this. Yeah. But they had a little bit of an argument into how, you know, into kind of how to honour, I think, Martin Luther King. There's There was something about a, a kind of overnight vigil that Belafonte wanted to do and Poitier feared that this would perhaps draw in more, more kind of violence, violence towards them. There would be people that yeah. would know they were there um, and things like this. And they, apparently they didn't speak for a couple of years after this. Now, they'd been massive friends, massive collaborators up to this yeah. point um, until someone gave Belafonte the script for Book and the Preacher. And apparently he rang Sidney Poitier up and basically said, Sidney, we're doing this movie. This is what it is. And Sydney's just like, yep, I'll see you there. We're doing it. Oh, wow. And it's kind of yeah. just carried on <laughs> yeah. as though seemingly, apparently, as though nothing had happened, okay. um, which is is nice to think of. Yeah. It's, it's very, very professional. But without even kind a... of a question on whatever happened, just ready to work together again. Yeah. You can see the respect was always there between the two yeah. of them. The camaraderie was always there between the two of them. I think <clears> the <throat> chemistry shows very much in this movie as well. Yes, Especially yeah. when, towards the beginning of the movie, they obviously hate each other as characters. They oh, yes, and each other. Yeah, I think the buck steals his horse, and so then there's kind of this uh, uh, fight that kind of happens between them, and then when uh, Preacher kind of realizes what Buck has been trying to do in terms of helping people, uh, he kind of settles in, but he also kind of sees opportunities where he can, you know, kind of help himself. Uh, yeah. And so, but Buck's yeah. just like a really annoyed with him at this point. Just like, <laughs> yes. Please leave. Please yes. go. I'm trying to help you know, these people. You're in the way. Yeah, you're totally in the way, guy. You can hang on, you know, hang with us for so long, and then you need to like go your own way. Like, <laughs> uh, but then ultimately, it kind of this camaraderie and, and partnership kind of develops throughout the film in terms of what they're trying to do and, and how they work together and uh so yeah I, I yeah you can definitely see the respect there the uh chemistry in terms of how they work together you can feel that there is a, a real friendship there um when you watch this movie so yeah and look as far as the rest of the story of this movie goes it really is focused on just book trying to help a group of uh, black migrants yeah. get to you know their new world get to their their new settlement um, yeah. and the, the toughness that comes along with that whilst being hunted by this band of white bounty hunters and yeah. whilst being followed obviously and joined by the preacher who brings kind of a dancing bouncing spirit yeah <laughs> to proceedings and yeah. allows them to actually um kind of succeed in what what they're doing joins the fight does, yeah. does the preacher and joins the fight in his own unique way which i think is a really great scene in in kind of the middle of the movie where book and the preacher actually finally seem to come together as a team yeah and they kind of storm a brothel where all these bounty hunters are uh, gambling and drinking and and doing all this and preacher kind of saunters in and <laughs> starts dancing and singing and trying yeah. to play a bit of a trick 
and, and they're all kind of getting into it. And yeah, as they soon like the silly man's distraction, and then yeah, yeah, uh, you know, he's kind of spurting out Bible verses, really kind of over theatrically. Yeah, <laughs> I think he's wonderful in this movie, Belafonte. Actually, he's doing the total opposite of what Poitiers is doing. Yeah, but he just works so well. Um, as soon as their guard is down in this particular scene as well, Poitiers comes in, kicks down the door as these two shotguns, and he's just like, I'm book. Bang, 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 yeah. bang. Yeah. It's There's a lot perfect. of great Western action in this movie as well, because, yeah, after this moment, we get kind of this big shootout upstairs, downstairs, on rooftops. So it's a yeah. very cool kind of Western shootout vibe. So for Sidney Poitier to kind of capture those elements and, and, and some fun action sequences, I think, was really cool as well. It really is. And like, like we said before, we're joined all the while with this half funk half spaghetti western score yeah um, i should the mention boing, the, the, boing the, sound. <laughs> the original music in this movie is by benny carter i should mention that so um that just to just to give credit to who the music yes, was yes and i mean also I really westerns westerns and black exploitation like i think there was also this effort to find common instruments within the two kind of genres mm. of music so you have like harmonicas definitely big and funk yeah. music harmonicas big and kind of western kind of just uh aesthetic so definitely I mean, and, and you hear kind of quite a bit in the, in the scoring of this one of the fame, one of the most famous Western characters in any Western is literally named Harmonica, harmonica. because yeah. that's what he does. He plays a harmonica. Mm -hmm. That's Charles yeah. Bronson in Once Upon yeah. a Time in the mm -hmm. West. Um, absolutely, the harmonica should be in there. It's a brilliant sound for this yeah. kind of movie as well. Yeah. I actually do think this score works. I know at times it can get a little bit too boing boingy. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit, but, but it keeps the pace. It, it keeps the bounce of 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 kind of what's happening and and the traveling uh, and and the movement it, of these characters. The constant yes, going, it, going, going, trying to find the place. Like it definitely it really, sits with that concept. It does. Yeah. It does. It helps elevate that idea so well, and it helps elevate this idea of just being able on move, to being on the run, you know. join these characters, not yeah. needing constant action because you have this kind of bang, bang, da bang, da bang kind of music <laughs> in the background. Yeah. It's just like it almost sounds like a horse, yeah, at mm -hmm. times, and it's really, really, it's very, very clever, very, very cleverly done. Actually, I really did like that. Um, we should mention our leading lady of the movie. Oh, yes. Well. yeah, Ruby D, mm -hmm. who's, of course, a, a, a massive black star in her own right. Yes. Um, um, is given a hell of a lot to do. Oh, yeah. She, they're like, give her a horse and, you know, yeah. get her in our have little her, trio. Have her ride the horse better than the, the other two. You know, she, she's got this really one particular, really emotional scene. I mean, let's call it what it is as well. While I think this is quite a, um, at times, a, a fun movie, at times a, a movie where you, a team-up movie, at times it feels like a buddy movie. It's a very, very serious movie. Yeah. Um, with its 
obviously serious undertones, but there's a character seriousness to it as well. And I think Ruby Dee's playing Sidney Poitier's wife. Yeah. Um who wants to move away, wants to move and to Canada. Down, have a life, have children with him and, and not have to worry about looking over her shoulder or, you know, being under yeah. somebody's boot and just really living life like a, a free woman as she should, but, you know. Yeah, but he's obviously on this mindset, on this plan of just save all the people, save people, all the people, have don't to get worry about myself. And, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and he's not focusing on himself. He's not focusing on his own wife. Um, situation yeah mm -hmm. and it's a really really powerfully acted scene actually yeah. um but after that obviously it's kind of it's agreed and ruby d kind of joins the fight in herself <laughs> and we build to a confrontation a final confrontation with all the bounty hunters or the ones that are left after the brothel shootout yeah um that Ruby D is like fully involved in. She's yeah. she's all she's all there. She's no not sidelined like a lot of kind of Western ladies are. Yeah. Who, you know, aren't necessarily involved in in you know or, or as well thought of, I suppose. Or yeah. They're... When the when the movies are about the women, yes, okay, we're we're involved in that way, but when they are played as really just the lead kind of character's damsel. wife yes or a damsel um, you know type she's given a hell of a lot to do and yeah i really liked that and they still gave her kind of like caregiving aspect she's making food for them she's making sure that they're eating and they're taken care of and they have you know uh yeah but but she's still very much involved in in kind of getting them ready for a big kind of score to get you know take out a bunch of guys and she's just right there and on the horse and so they they gave her kind of this dual role of you know typical uh duties of you know what you would see a woman doing at this time but also really getting into the action of things as well so yeah you want to talk about this uh the the native american aspect of this oh, movie? oh yes <laughs> because it's a big it's a big deal to this movie i think the the idea behind it is actually a very, very positive one. A very, very and I don't think people one. really think about kind of, you know, what Native Americans and Black people were kind of, you know, what their relationship was like at this time, because we never really see Yeah, to it. each other. Yes, like, you know, they're both in this world uh, as different and, and oppressed and all of those things. So, like, how do they kind of come together? Would they come together to... to to help each other out or have each other's backs or anything like that. So I think it's an important depiction to show in this movie, but uh, in terms of really highlighting uh, black movies made by black people and then having something like this in there to kind of discredit another minority group, just is a little bit disappointing, you know? Yeah. And this is what we said before in the casting of, um, of, of Belafonte's wife, who for some reason I completely forgot the name of now, um, as as our kind of leading Native American character. Yeah. Um, the idea of it, though, the idea of of those two groups kind of actually helping each other, respecting each other's, almost respecting each other's sadness, almost respecting each other's hardships and actually wanting to help each other not without 
bargaining and not without yeah. kind of wheels being struck, but it's not outward violence. It's not at all, is it? It's not like, yeah. oh, people immediately, we must kill them. You know, there's none of that. It's very, let's coexist. Yeah. Friend, you know, in a friendly way. Um, I think there's a lot to be said for the movie depicting that. Like we said, we just wish to God that just cast entirely native people. people yeah. You could have done this. You could have done this. Surely you could have done this. Yeah. But unfortunately, unfortunately, we don't do that. But I do think the ideas behind it are very, very good. Yes. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you, I that kind of relationship. Yeah. 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 I don't know if you wanted to speak any more about <laughs> that kind of. Well, thing. I mean, yeah, I think there should have been a deeper effort to to cast native, especially kind of, you know, in that era. I mean, you're going into the '70s now. It's a more modern era in terms of, you know, let's try not to do these things that were, you know, done and kind of actually seen as wrong in in the 50s and and the 60s and things like that so you're kind of going into a more modern era so i definitely think that would have been a time to really consider those things even more and especially yeah. if it's minorities kind of having control of the creation you know the creative side of making this movie definitely there should have been more efforts to to really kind of get some accuracy there especially if you know your focus on telling this black story is to have some bit of accuracy in telling the story of black people in this kind of Western era of time. And it's important to tell this more accurate story of what blacks were doing and, and things like that. Um, and what they were kind of suffering at this time, then why not, you know, extend that accuracy, at least to some degree to another minority group that has been very much, not treated well in the Hollywood sphere. So yeah, yeah it's, it's a, it's a, not. yes. Considering who's making the movie, it just felt a bit disappointing that there was no care to to uh rectify some things done to another significant minority group. Yeah. Uh Julie Robinson, by the way, is, is the name of yeah. uh very, a very at the time thing. wife. <laughs> Yeah. A white woman, a white woman, a white yeah. name for a white woman. Somehow, you know, she's got the same last name as me. So obviously yeah. there's, there's a, a certain whiteness to it. Um, there is though, isn't there actually? But then you think of other, you think of there's black people with the name Robinson. I mean, it was yeah. probably given to them in unfortunate circumstances, really. Yes, yes. Given the history of, but I mean, just definitely not the world. A, a Native American. Name. Definitely not a Native American name. No, no. that's a good point. <laughs> Certainly not a Native American name <laughs> at all. Um, I will bring up another aspect to Harry Belafonte in this movie that I feel should be admired a lot, and it's the fact that I mentioned that he he phoned up. Sydney Poitier with this script and just went, Sydney, we're doing this. Yeah. But I didn't say that this was the first movie Harry Belafonte made since 1959. Oh my God. He didn't work, he didn't make a movie for the entirety of the 60s. Oh wow. He went from 59 to 72. 72 was this movie. Um, this was because 
obviously Harry Belafonte in the 50s. Uh, his first movie, I think, is a movie called Bright Road, um, where he's he's opposite Dorothy Dandridge, which is mm-hmm. was kind of their first time together before going into Carmen Jones, Jones the year yeah. after, mm-hmm. which has been covered on this show a long, long while ago. Yeah. I, I would almost like to, you know, if we were ever to revisit movies, I would, I would, I would like to to revisit movies in a certain aspect. I don't think it would be right it would feel like cheating to do it on the show because it's just like oh you can't think of anything else to do so you're just talking just about a movie you've already time. talked about yeah. but in some aspect i kind of i wouldn't mind doing that because you learn a lot more don't you as time goes on you you learn a lot more contextual information you learn a lot more analytical information well not analytical information but you learn a lot more about other movies that informs your analysis Mm -hmm. um and you learn speaking i suppose to to a more eloquent degree even though some would say i'm deeply uneloquent um (laughs) you would say that (laughs) i would say that i would say that but that's a movie i would i would really like to to re rediscover almost i feel i i regret almost watching it for the first time that long ago and not almost more recently um what is weird about that movie though is that harry belafonte doesn't actually sing his songs in that movie it's it's just ridiculous to think about um i mean it's no wonder he felt a little unfulfilled by the Hollywood movie industry if they couldn't even use his voice. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's really, it's unfortunate. Now, after that, he kind of tries making interesting movies. He tries making kind of more of his own movies. I think at this point he does found his production company, his little independent production company, Belafonte Enterprises. Um, I forget what Poitiers company is now, but I know it's the initials of his parents. Oh, okay. Um, I think it's like R and E or something, or something like that. Um, but Belafonte makes a couple of movies in 1959. Uh, one's called Odds Against Tomorrow. One's called something like The World, The Flesh, and the Devil, or something like that. Um. That last one's a sci-fi movie. Um, Odds Against Tomorrow was actually like a noir. So I would have been really interested to to watch that. And I really did want to watch that for this particular series that we're doing. Couldn't find it anywhere. Could not find it anywhere. Which is is a real shame. Because it does have its... Because Belafonte is the lead in that movie. It's got a great cast as well, like Robert Ryan's in it, Gloria Graham's in it, Shelley Winters is in it, Ed Bagley's in it. It's a really great noir cast. I mean, who doesn't want to see Belafonte opposite Robert Ryan and Gloria Graham? Yeah. Just noir greatness there. But it has its, it apparently has has its really significant race elements to it as well, which... You would think it would do, given the fact that Belafonte wanted to make a point of making movies about this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, obviously, was a big activist, so it yeah. makes total sense. These movies were pushed back. These movies were kind of not given 
the distribution they perhaps deserved and certainly yeah. the distribution that Belafonte would have wanted. And he became really unsatisfied with the movie yeah. industry. Yeah. So this is why in the 60s he more focuses on his music and he more focuses on his activism and his politics. And you think about, obviously, the civil rights real boom in the 60s. You yeah. can see why a hell of a lot of his time is focused on holding meetings with people like Martin Luther King. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and becoming really good friends with, with Martin Luther King. Um, which I do think is quite nice, really. Yeah. Um, but I find it really, really interesting that he didn't make a movie from Odds Against Tomorrow in 1959 until this movie in 1972. Yeah. And just because it was this movie, just because it was the chance to kind of work with Poitier again. Yeah, mm-hmm who he hadn't worked with, I think, in a movie at all. He'd worked with on stage, but I don't actually think he'd worked with in a movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is is really interesting again. But it's got that significance to it for, for kind of bringing him back into movies and what he actually put into the character of the preacher. Like, he makes himself so ugly. Oh, no. And like Harry Belafonte at this time is a really strikingly good-looking man. Yeah, his hair's all nappa scrappy. He's got really jacked up teeth. Like is this horrible scraggly beard? Yes. Like eyebrows that look like he's kind of drawn in a bit of a monobrow. It's really yeah, horrible. Um his daughter gives an interview actually on this Blu-ray as well that I bought, this criterion. Apparently, he put nail polish on his teeth. That's what it is. Oh. So it wouldn't, like, rub off with his own spit either or yeah. anything like that. So it would just look really just brown Ew. and nastily rotten and horrible, horrible teeth. Yikes. They really do. It's a strange thing to say, but they really emphasize who his character is in this movie. He is a complete kind of nomad he's a complete just free-for-all guy there's nothing clean he doesn't look like he's ever had a shower apart from actually (laughs) swimming in the river yeah you know certainly he 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 looks a a little bit disease-ridden yeah whether he is or not we, we don't know but he has just this kind of balmy energy yeah. In this movie, this real swindler, this real charming, charismatic con man energy. Yeah. But, you know, you think about it, plays to a kind of Butch Cassidy and Sundance kind of vibe, doesn't it? It plays yeah. to, you know, think of almost these two as the black Butch and Sundance, they almost yeah. a book and preacher. It sounds mm-hmm. a little yeah, bit sure. like Butch yeah. and Sundance. Yeah. Um, I think that's possibly what the movie was the envisioned as. Kind of, yeah. A little bit. I could see that. I um, could see that. I, I think there's certainly chem- similar chemistry aspects. Definitely. Yeah. But I really, I really, really like Belafonte in this movie. Um, I like Poitiers, of course I like Poitiers, I just think Poitiers is doing something that's far more 
introspective Poitiers is doing something that's far more kind of let's put a tear in your eye and yes. Belafonte is the one that's bringing the kind of comic relief the and the movie. humor the you know the uh over the top kind of energy you know yeah, yeah. you know i always like it when sydney Poitiers smiles i think his smile lights up yeah. the room but he doesn't smile at all no. i don't think in this movie it's a very very serious stoic yeah. performance from sydney yeah, yeah. Uh, a great one a fantastic one um but i really i did want to mention that other aspect about Belafonte. Definitely. Yeah. Is there anything else you would like to bring up about this movie, Janine? Uh, no, I just really had a lot of fun with it. It was something I was excited to see, you know, these two actors together first off, and then uh, just the directing of Sidney Poitier um, and a Western, really black focused kind of Western. So just a lot of elements I was really excited to see in this film delivered really well on um, kind of the major aspects I was looking for in this movie. So yeah, really enjoyed, yeah. enjoyed Buck and Preacher. I'm glad we were able to finally check it off our list because I know we have been talking about doing it for a, a while now. So yes, really, really excited to, to have watched this one. I really did enjoy it. I think it's a a really a really great movie i think it's a really well-made movie but a, a quiet movie a movie that you need to just just sit with it just yeah don't don't let your attention be drawn away i don't think it will be but just watch carefully be impressed yeah. by the stylistic things that are going on in this movie yeah and really focus on the little subtle character moments because they really do boost up they emphasize the the whole really educational almost historical uh very positive kind of message and attitude that the movie does have of, of kind of wanting you to to learn about this particular group of people at this particular time that's not a lot of people know about because, yeah. you know, at this time, uh, you know, there was an all an awful lot of black, tip, you know, what you would consider cowboys. Yeah. Um, this is it's it's a fact. I think you know, almost there were more black cowboys because what you think of a cowboy is you think of like a ranch hand and a, a you know a, a somebody who works on a ranch, somebody who works with horses, works with cattle, these kind of people yeah you know you know at this time there were more you know apparently again this i'm drawing off the information i got from this blu-ray there's more black people doing that work at this time than white people and okay. apparently i can't don't quote me on this but this also comes from it the actual phrase cowboy is a shortened version of go get that cowboy oh really people would say to to black people obviously in a, in a little bit of a demeaning way obviously referring to people as boy and things like that yeah uh -huh. um but cow hand apparently is what you would consider a white ranch worker oh um okay. so you know you think of all your cowboy heroes the word actually comes from all these black people that you don't hear about in movies okay so i've, I've learned that as well <laughs> I've learned yeah. that it's given me a lot of appreciation for that little snippet of history, that little snippet of 
you know, American life at that time. Yeah. And all the while being a really, really good Western, a really great Western. My kind of vibe of Western um, that is quiet, that has its morality, uh, that's not necessarily... <laughs> Not necessarily kind of leaves you with a bad taste. Like some some westerns yeah. sometimes leave you with sometimes. a bad taste. Yeah. I just like that this takes its stylistic, this takes its moral lessons off of revisionist westerns rather yeah. than typical white hat, black hat westerns. Yeah. It, it, it likes its grey westerns. It likes its high noons and gunfighters and these westerns that I do love deeply. Yeah. Um, I really do. I really do think this is this is a great movie. I mean, in terms of westerns, do do you do you like things that are like this stylistically? Um. Yeah. I mean, westerns are probably like Spaghetti my ones. <laughs> westerns are probably like lower on my favorite yeah. genres list. But when I do find a good one that has a good story, great characters that I'm interested in following, um you know, I can definitely get into them. So this film definitely had, you know, a great leader character in, in Sydney Poitier. And, and I like that they were so different. So kind of the coming together of different dynamics is something very common to Westerns, I think, as well. And kind of yeah. these un unlikely, reluctant kind of team-ups, which is an aspect just in general films that I, I do have fun with. So, uh, you know, when Westerns kind of have those elements, I can definitely get into into aspects of it so the the, the characters and, and the story and just kind of who it was made by and the importance to really depict certain things all really got me interested in in this style of western so yeah i, I enjoyed it in terms well, of westerns go i think it was a solid one yeah it's just a shame our hero doesn't have a mustache and i imagine Sidney Poitier <laughs> with, with a mustache oh my gosh <laughs> i don't think he'd look very good with a mustache actually. no i, I mean he... i couldn't put I, I couldn't put belafonte in the mustache hall of fame because it's technically a beard and it's a really bad one at that yeah it's very scraggly <laughs> um Sidney uh, Poitier with a mustache no um it is just a shame because i've just been reminded yet again of just how utterly perfect Gregory Peck's moustache was in The oh, Gunfighter. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> very um, good. The elite moustache, I think that is. It really is, yeah. as far as westerns go. <laughs> but, Janine, there we go, I think, for yeah. this episode of It's a Wonderful Podcast, episode 248. We have been talking Book and the Preacher from 1972, directed by Mr. Poitier and starring yeah. him alongside Harry Belafonte and Ruby D, mm -hmm. And Cameron Mitchell, like I said, playing our devious villain with his great bushy moustache himself. <laughs> um, we do have something quite interesting actually coming up next week, a movie that I had never actually even heard of before this week. I, I, I had been doing a little bit of actual research as well today which which okay. you'd be proud of me for yes. because it's not usual is it really <laughs> i found a good documentary on netflix actually about about black movies um particularly ones from around kind of this time older black movies i think it, it doesn't really go past um go past the 70s really it doesn't go past the 70s so it's all it's very much older 
yeah black movies um and was introduced to this movie that we're covering next week um thanks to this documentary actually it's on netflix is it called i actually think it's called it's called it's called something like is that black enough for you or something like that which comes from a quote from the movie we're actually covering next week on the show which is the movie cotton comes to harlem from 1970 it's directed by ossie davis it is a a kind of it's a crime movie it's supposed to be a detective movie an action movie i think we'll get a little bit more we're not getting into pure black exploitation yet you know this movie book and the preacher certainly is not a black exploitation movie just no. because a black movie comes out in the early 70s does not mean <laughs> it's a black exploitation movie <laughs> black exploitation is a genre that you know it has to follow its genre tropes yeah. like any other genre does this is just a western movie um I'm not quite sure how much black exploitation vibes we may get from Cotton Comes to Harlem. I think it's going to be a little bit more of a a kind of serious feeling movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. While having kind of poppy elements to it, because I think Godfrey Cambridge is in the movie wearing a very loud suit. Um, quite, you know, typically noirish with you know the suits and the hats and things like this yeah. but it's a it looks to be a very very colorful movie okay which um i'm only hoping for some i mean maybe again this is this is more of a black exploitation vibe so i don't think we'll get it in this movie but bring the turtlenecks Perhaps. Oh, that's Perhaps. why you picked all these 70s movies. You just wanted to I know we'll certainly be getting turtlenecks um, on the other side of episode 250. Yes. Um, we'll certainly be getting some turtlenecks there. So, you, you know, you know how I yes. love that. The best turtle. I might bring up the idea of the best turtleneck in a movie, which has, I think the best. The you best still tell outfit. me you're going to create a, a turtleneck hall of fame now. <laughs> I might do. I might do. The best outfit I can think of off the top of my head, just, just in terms of aesthetic from this time, is what's his name? The the, the police guy, the detective from guy. From Blackula. Blackula. Yes. Yeah. With his moustache. And yeah, his great. lovely, huge, thick, white turtleneck and his yes. blazer. A brown blazer. It's perfect. It's <laughs> unbelievable the aesthetic of this man. I forget his name. Um, but the costumes, the costumes have a lot to be said. We 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 love the costumes of this era. Um, and I'm excited to talk about this movie as well next week. Cotton comes to Harlem yeah. because again, it, you know, with Ozzy Davis directing the movie, you've got a, a big name kind of black star. In the directing yeah. chair. Yeah. Which is, is very, very interesting. But there we go, Janine, unless there is anything else you would like no. to say. No, I think I think we covered it all. <laughs> well, this is not the only show we have on this podcast feed, is it? 
And now, of course, we have our Monday show, Monday Madness with Morgan and Machine. It is also on our YouTube channel where you can see our lovely faces. We have fun topical conversations, get into a silly fun topic, and then we play some games. So it's just a really chill kickback show that you can watch on the YouTube channel along with some other great content. So please subscribe over there. But you can also listen to it on this very podcast feed every Monday, Monday Madness. And then, of course, every Wednesday, we have Morgan Hasn't Seen, where I force you to watch things you haven't seen it is the month of love so we are talking some love game related rom-coms over there on morgan hasn't seen talking movies you haven't seen and your first time thoughts uh so you can check that out every wednesday on the podcast feed yes this wednesday was uh the sweetest thing 2002 (laughs) a silly movie yes very silly movie (laughs) that i did get into the silliness of <laughs> but yes monday wednesday friday we have you covered on the it's a wonderful podcast feed on anchor apple podcast spotify stitcher google podcast Castbox, amazon music and everywhere else subscribe ding the notification bells over on the it's a wonderful podcast youtube channel for all the fun things we have over there certainly a lot of things going on on the youtube channel it's exciting to continue to build up that aspect of what we do here and it's a wonderful podcast. We already spoke about the Patreon and the donation links before, but you can also follow us on social media on Twitter at It's a Wonderful One. You can find me on Twitter at The Purple Dawn with a three instead of the E and the because, Janine. Three is the magic number. On Instagram and even TikTok at The Purple Dawn. All your wonderful stuff is where. Ooh. You can find me at Janine Debean underscore on Twitter, Janine Debean on Instagram and TikTok. If you want to get any merch for any of our shows, you can find that at our Teespring shop. Just search It's Wonderful Podcast on teespring.com or check the link in the description below. Or if you want to purchase any of my art and print form, you can find that at my big cartel shop, g9design.bigcartel.com. I almost said all your black Western stuff would be where. <laughs> that, that would actually technically be I accurate. Mean, given, yeah. You know. I mean, be very way. accurate, actually. Yeah, <laughs> probably should have said it now. I've said it now. I've said it in retrospective. It just it's a little bit weird now, isn't it? Anyway, anyway, Janine, I don't think there is only one thing left to do. I don't know if you want to do some sort of bizarre impression. Yeah, um, no, I don't. I don't know that there's any impression I could do that would yeah, be appropriate. Not really, <laughs> not really good. Not really. Not really good impression. Nah, really, no. there, unless you want to try and be some sort of sleazy con man preacher, <laughs> right? Or if I just do some twangy cowboy, generic. twangy cowboy, <laughs> twangy western music. So that's fine. <laughs> the right two, one. <laughs> Bye. Bye.